If you would open your Bibles to Luke chapter 21. As we considered in chapter number 20, Jesus uh, ended there warning his disciples about those who seemed very religious, but actually were not. Now, as we begin chapter 21, he goes from addressing the very small offering of a widow to teaching about the destruction of the temple, the destruction of Jerusalem, and even his own future return. And all of this, a great lesson is taught for us that I've just titled here today, Little is Much. The little bit of money given by the widow was actually very much to her. The much that was given by the others was very little in the grand scheme of things. Their much was their fabulous temple and their wonderful city. All of these things Jesus predicts and eventually happened were torn down and demolished and brought to nothing. The little problem that these Pharisees seem to be needing to fix during this time, which we know is Jesus, but it was their little problem to fix, was actually much because he's going to return as Lord of all. They didn't see it that way. They said, we can just get rid of this guy. He's just a small thing. He's a, he's a son of a carpenter. He's from Galilee. He's from Nazareth. Jesus goes on to teach in this chapter that the cares of life are actually very little up against all that is yet to come to pass. And the sermon today, as we think about little is much, is intended to focus us back on Jesus' purpose here. That we get way too overwhelmed with the cares of life. Tomorrow and today and the next day and the next 40 years or what we're going to do during this lifetime with the legacy we're going to leave for our kids or any of this kind of stuff. And we're not nearly as concerned as we should be about eternal things. This, this group of religious people that would have considered themselves God's people were turning away their very Messiah, the one promised, the one they were waiting on because they were so concerned with what they thought were the big things. And Jesus uses this small offering here to point out it's the little things that you should be focused on here because they're, they're keeping you from the big thing. Let's read together in chapter 21. We're just going to look in the first four verses today. And he looked up and he saw the rich men casting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a poor widow casting in thither two mites. And he said, of a truth, I say unto you that this poor widow has cast in more than they all. For all these have of their abundance cast into the offerings of God. But she of her penury has cast in all the living that she had. Now go with me to verse 34. As Jesus finishes out this portion of his teaching. So he points that out. He teaches about the destruction of the temple, the destruction of Jerusalem, his second coming. And this is what he says. And take heed to yourself, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life. So that day come upon you unawares. Do you hear what Jesus is teaching here? He says, don't get so concerned with all of these things to the point that you miss the actual day. I, I can just see some of us now. We, 
We joke about some of you here this morning. We say, you're going to be late to your own funeral. Jimmy K. <laughs> but, but of all things to be late to, I'm going to be late to mine too. Like maybe about years. But I can just see some of us now, the, the Lord has returned or the kingdom is, is before us or some great, uh, you know, eschatological event is coming to be. And we're just saying, well, hang, on, hang on just a minute now. Some of us are so theological, we've got it figured out. We're time, wait a minute, no, I had my clock ready to count it down. 10, 9, 8, it's not the time. Or we're so busy with our career, we're so busy with our legacy, we're so busy with what it is on earth that we're planning to do. How we want life to be for our kids, how we want life to be for us. The change we want to make in the world, that we're missing the point that it's not I, but Christ in me. And Jesus says to his disciples here in this teaching, he says, take heed to yourselves. The cares of life will keep you from these main things. Luke tells us that Jesus was teaching this theme daily, preparing his disciples to take heed to themselves. I would say this morning, church, each one of us must examine ourselves. Lest we too be like these religious of Jesus' day, not prepared when he comes. I want us to see this in Luke's 21st chapter. Let's pray and then we'll get into the word. Father, we're thankful. You've blessed us with another time to gather with our church family and worship you in song and in prayer and the reading of your word and now the preaching of your word. Lord, as we come to this important and holy time, we pray that you would help us to focus, to put all else aside and to give you your due as you speak to us through your word this morning. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would move. We pray that you would touch and work, change us, mold us, make us, conform us into the image of Christ. We pray this through Jesus Christ. Amen. So this widow's might. She casts in two pieces of copper and many were casting in much more. In fact, we'll say everybody else was casting in much more. In our scenario today, you apply this to the modern church. We all put in what we thought was the right amount. And here came someone who put in what we would consider meaningless, maybe two pennies. And Jesus points out in that gathering there to his disciples, he says, she put in more than everybody. Winston Churchill, famous for saying lots of things. He said, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. Someone else said, men see what is given. God sees what is left. I think we think of giving in regards to portions. But what Jesus is teaching us here is that God sees our giving in proportions. He says here about this widow, she's, she's put in more than they are. Well, truly she had not. But proportionally, she certainly had. She was voluntarily putting in two copper coins. Verse 21, or chapter 21, verse 1. He looked up and saw the rich men casting their gifts into the treasury. And he also saw a certain poor widow casting hither two mites. These coins were the smallest unit of currency, of coin, coinage in the Jewish currency. They held very little value. R.C. Sproul tells us, that in rabbinic law, a person was not allowed to put into the box less than two of these mites because it was more trouble to handle one of these tiny coins than it was worth. So if you're going to do this, you at least got to put in two because we're just not going to deal with counting them otherwise. You're going to throw it in the trash. Anybody brave enough to admit here, you're one of these coins in the trash kind of persons. 
just, it's just not worth anything to you. You're just going to, all right, anybody want to collect those coins from the trash for, the, from these? All right, so we got a balance of us here this morning. Well, this was the, the rabbinic teaching of their day. When you come, they, they had these like, they called them trumpet boxes. Pretty neat looking things. You can think of what a trumpet looks like. And it was a box. And they actually put it in the women's court. Women, however you want to take that. <laughs> I think the idea was by these religious leaders, we're going to receive an offer and we might as well put it where the most people can go. And there were certain places that women and Gentiles could not go, but everybody could go where the women could go. Right? So we're going to put it where we can get the most traffic as possible to get the largest offerings as possible. Practical wisdom. And they had these boxes that were bigger at the top to receive and smaller at the bottom, probably to keep, make it harder for hands to get down in there and take from that. So some of you making change this morning in the plate there. That's interesting. No, I'm just kidding. Nobody did that. But they said, if you're going to do this, we're going to be involved in this practice. We don't want your buttons. We don't want your washers. We don't even want one of these mites. We want two of these. If you're going to put any in at all. Well, she complies with that rule. And she puts in two small, small copper coins. Now, Jesus brings attention to this up against the pride and the hypocrisy of the religious leaders that he's pointed out. He said in verse three, of a truth, I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast in more than they all. And then he explains, for these of their abundance cast in unto the offerings of God. But she of her penury hath cast in all the living that she had. This was all of her earnings. This was not a portion of her earnings. She couldn't afford to give just a portion of her earnings because they wouldn't receive it. So she had to give in, I think a, a, a mite would have been one day's wage at that time for the, 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 the minimum wage laborer, so, so to speak. So she had to work two days just to be able to put in an offering here. Well, Jesus brings attention to this up against those who were putting in out of their abundance. And he lays out the proportion there. Now, I'm thankful for a scholar, Daryl Bach is his name. He clarifies the tone of these verses, and it's, it's important that we understand his meaning here. He says, Jesus' point is not so much to rebuke others' contributions as to exalt a contribution that otherwise would have been underappreciated. We need to see that here. This is not Jesus' accusation against the rich, and it's not even so much Jesus' accolade toward the poor. It's Jesus laying out that when we give, we are to be giving proportionally. We need to understand and be careful with Jesus' teaching. He's not teaching that, oh, in this scenario, God refuses to receive the gifts of the wealthy. He's teaching that we must take note in our own lives, even in the things we view as small or things that religion might deem more trouble than it's worth. That goes to verse 34. Take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting, drunkenness, cares of this life, so that day come upon you unawares. If we're not careful, the cares of life take hold on us as believers. He, he illustrates this here through drunkenness. He says, just like alcohol takes hold of a drunkard, he illustrates it here through the, the old King James word here is surfeiting. It's just a word that talks about self-indulgence in the same way of drunkenness. But it would be for other things. It wouldn't be 
because of substance abuse. It would be because you're abusing yourself with things. You kind of get a high or a buzz off of buying one more of these or getting the newest one of these. Or You've always got to be satisfying your flesh. His point is the cares of life. These things that we live and die for. Realizing it or not. Well, I've got to do this. I've got to work so I can do this. There's two basic things that we actually got to have. And Jesus has already taught. Luke records it. Matthew records it. That our Father knows we need these things and will provide them for us. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. What things? Take no thought what you're going to eat or drink or what you're going to put on. What you need to consume to stay alive and what you need to put over yourself to protect you from the elements. Your clothing and your food. Two of the most basic things God is teaching us here. If we would just depend upon Him, He would always provide those things for us. But Jesus is pointing out here in the, in the glamour of this temple, in the glory of the city, and saying to them, "Like this is, this is going to get torn down. You, you think the city is something, and you, what, what did they want Jesus to do? Come in as king and rule and run the Romans out of here and put us back on the map again. And he says, that's not what's going to happen. They're going to tear this city down brick by brick and leave it in rubble. He says, you all need to take heed to yourselves. That like a drunkard who, who can't turn away a drink and he just stays high all the time. Or, or, or like a, can I say a shopper? <laughs> I don't think that's what Jesus was saying, but in our day, a hoarder, a shopper, a, a, a getter. I think we're all consumers in that way. There's the word, like a consumer. That you don't allow the, the thing of consuming more and more and more. To cause you to miss it. I don't think drunkenness or consuming or what Jesus is pointing out here. I think it's the focus on the cares of life. This is a problem in today's world. It's a problem in today's church. These these day to day things tomorrow and the next day. They are of much more urgency to us than the reality of what is yet to come. So Jesus says, don't get caught in this snare. Don't be unprepared. Now, Jesus teaches this beginning with a notice of how people of the faith were giving. He's not making the point that we can give our way into some level of spirituality. Rather, he's saying that our giving reveals our mindset on the value of temporal things versus eternal things. Now, I hope that's very convicting to you here this morning. Whether you're the biggest giver in this congregation or whether you're the widow given the two mites, what is your mentality about the value of your giving? Some of you don't give at all. You, you say to yourselves, well, someday when I get this, 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 this done, then I'll give. Some of you say, well, it's a wealthy church, so I don't need to give. Some of you say, well, I can afford to give this much, so I'll give it. And the preacher expects it, so that's the thing. I know he's watching when they take up the offering. Some of you give generously and gladly. But in all of this, what's our mentality about it? Are we thinking we're giving our way to some level of spirituality? No, we are not Catholic. I'm not selling you indulgences. I'm not making a promise to you based on the level of 
income you provide to this organization? How are we to give? 10%? Everything? Which one is it? And see, that's a problem with modern day Christians in this text. We, we want to hear this text and we want to think through this text and we want to leave here saying, all right, I figured out exactly how much I must give to please God. I, I've just always been taught and I've always settled in on 10%. Any other 10%ers in here? Just give my 10%. I've often been convicted that it's become a legalistic thing for me. You know, I gave my 10%. Please the Lord in that one. <laughs> He's going to make my washing machine last longer now. The cares of this life. Grant Osborne says the key is not to give out of a sense of duty or so people know you're pious, but to give out of gratitude for all that's given you. There's some pitfalls here. One would be to not be a giver at all. God's people are to be graciously giving and he is graciously gives to us. Money, time, talents, whatever. But in this particular context, money. God has always had a system where his people brought in from what they earned. And he, and he just, that's it. To be avoiding that is to be a disobeying scripture. So if you are not giving to the local assembly, you're missing that principle of scripture. The second pitfall there is if you're giving 10% and you feel like, well, I've, I've marked off that box. I don't kill. I don't skip, steal. <laughs> and I gave my 10%. You're missing one of the greatest blessings of generosity that you can have in life, which is just giving what God wants you to give. The Old Testament method was giving the tithe. Now, in the modern church, we like to think of the tithe as 10%. Who knows how much it was in the, under the old covenant? It was like 33 and a third. That's actually how much it was. Now, I just have to change religions there, given the way our government taxes us. I don't think I could handle my tax and my tithe and still buy my hot dogs and feed my cats. <laughs> I got to feed my cats. See, cares of this life. The New Testament doesn't actually detail what percentage we are to give. Maybe you misunderstood that from Scripture or been taught that poorly from Scripture. But there is not a biblical dictate in the new covenant for how much you are to give. Now, I wish you would go home and study 2 Corinthians 9. But I'm going to give you verse 6 and verse 7 this morning. You can look there if you want. I'm going to read it to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. We're taught to give cheerfully. And we are taught to give as the Lord prospers us. He says, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. So how are we to give? Well, if we expect to reap sparingly, well, then go ahead and give sparingly. $100.67, because that's exactly 10% of what I made. If I was better at math, I could have told you how much we made. How much did I make there? That's Hickman County math. I don't think you're right. 
think you got an extra zero, right? Am I wrong in there? Let, let's let Ben help count the offer. <laughs> You're on a roll today, Ben. Appreciate you, brother. That's a legalistic approach. We're giving grudgingly. We're giving of necessity. My wife and I, we fight over this one. Well, not fight. She's never blacked my eyes. She's wanted to a couple of times. So she would be a gross giver. I called you gross in front of the whole church. <laughs> you give off that top line. I'm a net giver. I'm like, oh, the Lord understands I got to pay my taxes. So I let all these deductions come out and then I'm going to give my little percentage based off of that. I'm giving grudgingly. I'm giving of necessity. It's legalistic and it's not right. I should, in fact, be a cheerful giver. I just say, you know what? God's been so good to me. I'm just going to tax them on there. So instead of 67 cents, I'm going to round it up to the next dollar. In the widow's mite scenario, that'd be fine, right? That's all you could give. That's all you could give. If you could round it up to the next hundred, praise the Lord. Paul talks about our good works and our benevolence towards one another. He says, as you have opportunity to give, so give. And when you can't, you can't. You may sit here this morning and say, oh, I hate sermons like this because I'm just not in a place in life where I can actually give. I don't have an income. That's fine. What is your widow's might? Or what is your abundance? Don't miss the point just because you can't get past the practice. I think Jesus is teaching us more here than actually like offering, taking, and giving. But it is a great challenge to us in that regard, and it's great instruction about that. This woman, in spite of her poverty, was still thankful for the blessings that she enjoyed for God. She, she was, I imagine, just grinning as she went up to these trumpet boxes and put her two mites in there. Mm, probably felt good. Worked hard for that. I'm glad to give it. She appreciated the beautiful temple. She appreciated the goodness of God in her life. She appreciated the worship that went there. So she showed up and she put hers in. Proportionally, Jesus said, she gave more than everyone. What about us? I want you to see that this is more a sermon about what our giving reveals about the state of our hearts than about our actual giving. See, if we were a church that was into debt up to our eyeballs and we weren't able to pay the power bill and we were wondering how we're going to make things work this morning, I'd pull out this verse and I'd give you this and I'd really guilt you into like raising some money. We need, we need more money. We're going to find ourselves there. You've heard the annual report. You've seen the, the planned spending for this year. Everything's looking up. Then, then what are we to do with this passage? Just skip it. No, we need to check our hearts. We need to look within ourselves and say, why do I give? Why don't I give? What is this revealing about me? I read this week from a missionary who said about giving, the question is not how large is my gift going to be to God's kingdom work? The real question is, how large a place will God have in my life? I think that's the key to what Jesus is teaching here. Are you verse 34? Are you living for the cares of life? Or are you living in full submission to Jesus, readily awaiting his return? If Jesus burdened you today to give it all away, could you? 
You say, I don't think that's ever going to happen. Well, we've already finished Luke 18. Why don't you look back to Luke 18? Luke 18, verse number nine. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves. That's where you always know you're going wrong. Trusting in yourself. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they, because of this, despised others, Luke records. Now look at verse 18. So he's speaking to this group who trust in themselves. They were despising others because they said, we're very righteous. And you know, the, the two men praying. One said, Lord, I'm just, be merciful to me, a sinner. The other said, Lord, I'm glad I'm not like him. And Jesus said, well, he's leaving here justified. You probably should be like him. Verse 18, a certain ruler asked him saying, good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said unto him, why do you call me good? None is good, save one that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. And he says, all these I've kept from my youth up. In our context, what is this guy saying? I get my 10%. Move on. Let's get to the Lord's Supper. We don't need extra money around here. Why is he harking on giving so much? That's what the guy said there in verse 21. He says, I've kept all these. I'm not talking to you about keeping Moses' law. I'm talking to you about eternal life. Well, if he truly believed that keeping Moses' law and that he had fully kept Moses' law would give him eternal life, why did not he even ask Jesus to start with? Because in spite of his legalism, he still had a hole in his soul. 22, when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, yet lackest thou one thing. Sell all that thou hast and distribute unto the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When he heard this, he was very sorrowful for he was very rich. And keep that in mind and go back to chapter 21. Jesus is not addressing a rich young ruler here. He's addressing a penniless widow. And he's pointing out here that given that same pretense, she gave it all. She put her two mites in. So you have a rich young ruler who left sorrowful because he was religious and he felt like, I do pretty good by the poor already. But he wasn't willing to write the check. And then there's this widow who probably was her regular standard of things or she'd been working toward this and she dropped it all in. I wonder where you find yourself this morning. Most of us here are rich. By the world's standards, we're very rich people. Maybe you find yourself poor here this morning. I don't think the level of your wealth or assets or income is the point. I think the, the, the meaning here is where are you in your head and in your heart? Would you be willing to give it all if that were the asking price? If Jesus stood right down here this morning and lined us up and you came one by one and he laid upon you what it is that you must do to have eternal life. No, we know that's not the case. It's by grace that we have eternal life and praise the Lord for his grace. But for some reason, religious people have this tendency to embrace God's grace and be willing for Jesus to give it all for us. And then we go off and leave legalist, live legalistically, not willing to give it all for him. Would you be willing to give it all if that's what Jesus were asking this morning? 
Phil Riken says here, when your heart is right before God, you will give as much as you can. Doubtless you will give more than you are giving right now. Maybe much more. Even more than you think you can spare. I would say to you this morning that giving more is the right thing to do. It's right because we live in a world that desperately needs the mercy of the gospel and word and deed. It's right because the work of missionaries, evangelists, church planners needs our money to change people's life for eternity. But most of all, it's the right thing to do because of the extravagant grace of God that he has offered to us through Christ Jesus. Jesus laid down his life for our sins. We, we play poker sometimes at the house. Me and the boys. We used to play with Oreos. Those were our chips. We don't really gamble. Some of you were already judging me, weren't you? Legalists? We used to play with Oreos. You know the problem. What's the problem? I ate up my profit, all right? Let's just be honest. So we went down to Walmart. We got ourselves a set of poker chips. Now, we don't know the rules. We probably don't do it right, but we know how we play poker. All right, Nikes, not the way we do it. Thomas is my, what do you like to do in poker, Tom? You don't know? Yeah. Thomas likes to put it all in. First hand. His older brother's like, Dad, don't let Thomas go all in. And I'm like, yeah, I know it ruins the game, but it's kind of awesome that that's his personality. I love it. He's an all in guy. Way to be, Tom. Who are you in the, in the game of life? You got your chips. By the way, where'd you get those chips? Are you, are you, are you willing to just say, oh, push them in, I'm, I'm in. Are you like uh, Jack? Who... <laughs> My kid said, Dad, please stop talking about us from the pulpit. So I'll stop. Are you like this one kid that I know? <laughs> Maybe you're the bluffer, right? You, you want to uh, get others to put all theirs in and you're just barely doing the, the, the bare minimum so that you're always sure. You've always got a, a, a nest egg. You've always got a, a safety net. Now we're thinking about money because of this offering and the widow's might, but for some of you, this is just simply through like property. It's through your home. It's through the vehicle you drive or the bank account or the retirement fund or the jars of whatever you've got in the backyard, gold or something that you've buried back there. By the way, you better be tithing off those too if you're a 10 percenter. <laughs> Maybe it's an ideology. That gets a lot of us. We, we're American dreamers. Well, no, we're not. We love the American dream. That's better. The house, the car, the kids, the Norman Rockwell, the memories. You're making those into idols. Well, this is what I want for my family. What does God want for your family? I tell you, some of us this morning might very well need to clean out a bank account. God may be just showing us that this thing is a trap for you. This is an idol for you. You need to write a check and drop it in this plate. But probably what more of us need to do to, than that 
is to be willing. You might need to bring your kids up to the altar this morning and just put them on it. Abraham and Isaac. And say, Lord, these are your kids. Maybe you didn't mean it when you did your baby dedication. Maybe you, you, you think, well, these are my kids. The Lord's given them to me. And I have this responsibility before. The... No, no, these are his. Nothing we have, nothing that we own, nothing we think about, nothing that we've embraced in this life is not his. He owns it all. Sacrificial grace demands sacrificial giving. He has given himself for us. We're to give our all for him. A hard thing for me as a young man was to give God my plans. I had my life mapped out. I knew exactly what I wanted to live. I knew exactly how I didn't want to live. It just broke me one day when God required of me to just say, all right, I'll just scrap it. Uh, Whatever you want, Lord, that's what I want. But there came a time where it was more important for me to be square with him than anything else in life. I'll never forget it. We were at a place called Union Grove Campground. Aunt Redonna knows it. Shanae knows it. I'd really been praying. The Lord had really been working on me. Everybody at church had their ideas. I was 16, 15 years old probably. Everybody had their ideas of what was going on in Chance's life right now. He's getting called to preach. He's going to be a missionary. He's sick and going to die. (laughs) There were all these theories. He's being burned to move to Hickman County. (laughs) A preacher preached that night. A lot of you know him about his life cereal box. Remember the preacher? Remember the sermon? Preach from James. What is your life? It is even a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. And usually after that was our church's annual Bible conference. Usually after that, the boys would go play tackle football in the dark, which was awesome. You could throw cheap shots and nobody could see. And sometimes some of the preachers would play with us and we liked that because they preached too long and cut into our football game. So we wanted to hit them harder. <laughs> we had a guy named Dr. Tab. He was the boringest preacher I ever heard in my life. Amen, Amen Aradon. That's right. <laughs> I put him into a poll one night. I was 16, 17. I was just, you know, just full of energy and full of body and I... I just went into him and took him into this pole and left a permanent dent in the side of this pole at this bad, well, it wasn't Baptist, it was a holiness campground. And I was pretty surprised with Dr. Tab. He got up and said, yeah! No, he actually did it. He did it. It was not his demeanor at all. That night, I didn't go eat hot dogs. I didn't go sit with the girls. I didn't go play football. I found the back road on this place where nobody was and I was staring up at the stars and your story didn't have to be like this. This doesn't have to be your instance. I'm just telling you what what the Lord did with me. He was laying on me so hard that night and I didn't know exactly what. I couldn't put my finger on it. See, if I could have put my finger on it, I could have been like, okay, God, I'll do that. I'll just add it to the plan. I'm gonna do this in my life and this in my life and this in my life. And and like, here'll be your line, God. On your seven, after I've done all of these things, you can have your... That's not what he wanted. What he wanted for me was to let go of my chips and just to push them all in and say, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. And he and I fought. 
I think about Jacob wrestling with the Lord. And the rest of his life, he, he left there limping, right? Abraham and Isaac. And we know that points to Christ. I, I get that. I don't want to overapply that into our own lives and make us think we're the point in the Bible, but we are humans. And if God, for the sake of Christ, said to you, go up on the mountain and lay down the son that I've given you and give him back to me, would you? Would you be willing to do it? This is my sermon to you today. Whatever you have, give it all to Jesus. Whether out of your abundance or your poverty, give it all. Else we're simply living unto the cares of life. So Jesus says, watch yourselves. Take heed to yourselves. We sing, I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. We sing, take my life. Let it be consecrated, Lord. Have you ever thought about the words in that song? Take my moments and my days. Are you giving Jesus your moments and your days? Take my hands, take my feet, take my mouth. Take my silver, my gold. Take my will. Take my heart. I'm gonna say a hard thing to you here in closing, but... I hope you can receive it in the spirit of this sermon. If Jesus were to answer you like the rich young ruler, how would you respond? Would you give out of your poverty or be content tossing in where you have abundance? We are all rich or poor in different areas of life. Are you truly willing to give him all? The crutch of the rich is to say, well, I give my money and so you can hold on to everything else. The crutch of the poor is to say, I have no money to give, so I'll let somebody else do that. Jesus addresses rich and poor here. This is the cost of discipleship. Do you understand that? The cost of discipleship is everything. It costs you every bit. Are you willing to pay the price? It's going to cost you your money. It's going to cost you your time, and it's going to cost you your things. It's going to cost you your home, your career, and your legacy, your family, your spouse, your children, your health, your very life, your remaining years. I turned 40 this week. I've had a lot of thoughts on that. A friend in Georgia, a dear friend who loves me so much, texted me and said, well, you're closer to death now than you've ever been. Jeez, Thanks. It was Gary. Some of you know Gary. Forgot he's he's been here to speak. If if dying tomorrow meant the spread of the gospel, would I be willing to die tomorrow? If the loss of my health were what Christ required of me. To gain him, would I give up my health in exchange for him? If it meant being penniless, would I give up my riches to gain him? If it meant having no time, would I give up my time to gain him? I don't know what your currency here is this morning, but we all have one. We all have that little secret place where we sort of hoard the things that are dearest to us. 
We don't even let the Lord go there. We don't let the Holy Spirit there. We cling to them. We live there. We like it. We kind of coddle the things that we have in there. Those are our things. And he gets all of the rest. But, but this I'm going to hang on to. I like this and I want to control this and I'm in charge of this. I tell you, based off Luke 21, 1 through 4, the clue for you in that regard does have a lot to do with your giving. What's your mentality in your giving? Are you not giving at all? Do you give and think, I've given plenty? Should be enough? Or do you just say, Lord, I want to reap bountifully, so I'm going to sow bountifully. And I'm so glad that you've allowed me to be able to give this way. Now, bountifully can be different from person to person. But we need to have the bountiful mind and not the sparing mind. We cherish to think he has given all for us. But I fear we come up short in our giving to him. Would you stand and pray with me?